CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. The Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Canadian Football Countdown. My name is Michael Gerald and I'm flying solo tonight. Oh, wait, no I'm not. I managed to find somebody who's familiar with Canadian football, who's familiar to this show. It's my pleasure and honor to welcome back to the show, Mr. Ryan Coop. Playoffs? Playoffs? We're talking about playoffs? Yes, Mike, I am back. We are back, and we are talking playoffs in the CFL this week. You chose quite the week to come back, man. Well, I figured it was fitting, you know, got to show up when it matters most. Better late than never, right? Absolutely. How you been, Mike, the last couple weeks? Uh, crazy busy, but uh, finally slowing down here a little bit uh, at work and hockey rank and life stuff and no trying to watch Canadian football somewhere in between <laughs> everything. How about you? Uh, well, uh, we're recording this November 7th, which excitedly is exactly one month until my last day of class ever for university. Uh, kind of drowning in the homework right now, but Mike threw me a life preserver and said, let's record a podcast. So uh, here we are, get a break, talk some CFL football. I uh, just finished watching another great episode of Survivor, which I won't spoil for anyone, but... Uh, More so myself. I know, you got hooked back on that this season, so uh, excited about that. And uh, really excited for some CFL playoffs here. And the uh, the Bombers, the hometown Winnipeg Blue Bombers are in it. And uh, we're going to get into our playoff predictions here on today's episode of the podcast. And I can tell you, I'm not confident in any of my picks. Well, I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about uh, preseason picks, but uh, those went very, very well. As listeners <laughs> are going to find out. <laughs> Uh, of course, the farthest thing from well. Yes, I uh, before we got started here, I listened back to our preseason or our season preview show at the start of the 2018 season, and uh, boy, were there some uh, pretty garbage predictions there, Mike, that did not come close to being true. But there has to be something that came remotely close, right? There, there are some. There are some, and we'll get into those. Uh, we're going to talk about, we're going to quickly wrap up the season here for the three teams that missed the playoffs, uh, the Edmonton Eskimos, Montreal Alouettes, Toronto Argonauts. We're going to get into talking about the teams that made the playoffs here and break down the first round matchups. And then, yes, of course, we're going to give our Grey Cup playoff picks as we do every year and probably be wrong as we are every year, but that's what we do, is it not? Since preseason predictions don't work out, I'm a little bit scared to pick the blue bombers because predictions seem to always be wrong. So I don't know if we should bear that in mind or what, but you never know. Maybe that will be taken into account. Maybe not. We'll get to that closer to the end of the show when we make our picks for the playoffs. But, Mike, first off, we're going to get into talking about the teams that missed the playoffs this year. But before we do that, 
Of course, we do need to mention that we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Uh, check out all of the other great CF Pod Network shows at cfpodnetwork.ca and at cfpodnetwork on Twitter. And uh, the news is out there, Mike, already, so we are cleared to talk about it, I've been told. the uh, You can look forward to Canadian Football Podcast Network trading cards, which are currently in production. What? Yeah. I didn't know that. Tell me a little bit more. <laughs> well, you know that, obviously, because, you know, we participated in it. But basically, uh, the guys from the Eskimo Empire podcast, and specifically Superfan Mike, uh, got this under, uh, you know, the ball rolling on this. And uh, a set of trading cards of all of the members of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. I think there's 48 cards in the set in total um so all 33 members uh people in the podcast network and then of course uh team cards for each podcast in the network as well and i think a couple other cards in the set but yes a set of 48 cards of trading cards with our faces on it yes mike well we will have a trading card with our face on it how do you feel about that i don't know it's a little bit weird with people uh well, now know who we are, but also in the same sense, maybe people will recognize us in the CFL stadium near them. Absolutely. Uh, so look forward to those coming out around Grey Cup week. Uh, we won't be at Grey Cup, unfortunately, but a lot of the other members of the podcast network will be, and uh, they'll be out there handing out packs of cards and all of that stuff, and uh, we should be getting some packs as well to give out, uh, you know, in different ways as we go forward here as well. Just a fun little thing put together. Uh, so props to Superfan Mike and thanks to Superfan Mike for putting that together. And uh, it's a great fun way to promote the podcast network. So we're excited for it. We hope everyone else is excited for it as well. And I guess kind of to lead into our conversation, uh, the team that is hosting the Great Cup will not be partaking in the Great Cup playoffs. Yeah. Doesn't that ring a bell? Doesn't that sound familiar? Like, oh I, oh, I don't know, the last time the Grey Cup was here in Winnipeg, 2015? Something like that. Which, the same team that's hosting it this year, went on to win here, and you and I were both at that game, and we watched the Eskimos beat the Ottawa Red Blacks. Yeah, so let's start with the teams that missed the Grey Cup playoffs, and I think probably the most shocking to a lot of people is the Edmonton Eskimos. 9-9 uh, nine and nine record on the season. Uh, wasn't good enough for Edmonton to make it to the playoffs this year. They finished last in the West Division, and they are missing the playoffs. Mike, there's been a lot of talk What's what sort of changes we're going to see in Edmonton. And again, we'll have the whole offseason to discuss all of these. But one of the most hotly contested questions is, will Jason Maz lose his job as head coach? I can now confirm to you that Jason Maz will be back for 2019. Okay. Um, Dave Campbell on Twitter uh, just a few moments ago. Jason Maz tonight on the Eskimos Coaches Show on 630. Ched says the decision has been made about his future. He will be back as the head coach for the 2019 season. Says he's leaning towards not being the offensive coordinator. Likely will promote within the coaching staff. He then goes on to say that uh, Jordan Maximik, the QB coach and pass game coordinator is likely the leading candidate to be the offensive coordinator for the Eskimos. So a struggling year for Edmonton, but 
but Jason Ma's back for 2019, it looks like. Um, I guess I'm okay with that. I what what doesn't sit well with me is how the Eskimos, for lack of better term, crashed out of the playoffs. Um, they were purring along, and then went into complete nosedive mode and missed the playoffs. And I don't know if Edmonton can come back as status quo. I, I think we are going to see changes in Edmonton. I just don't know what those changes entail. Because if you would have asked me, you know, after what happened this season, most likely change. Yeah, I would have probably said Jason Ma's out as head coach, right? You know, uh, we've, we've seen he's got a bit of a temper on him at times. You know, the headsets. The uh, Gatorade containers are witnesses to that. Um, he's made some questionable decisions, such as when he tried to get, when he kicked a field goal on first down. Um, I'm a little surprised to see Maz back next year, but how much do you think this uh, supposed cap they're putting on coaching salaries, which looks like it will come into effect next season, given that Jason Maz was under contract for not only next season but the year after? Do you think that played into this decision at all? Um, I do a little bit to an extent, but I, I also feel that, you know, Edmonton has been reasonably successful, you know, the last number of years with going back to Ed Hervey and last year with Brad Sunderland and Adder near the top of the West Division. Um, you know, a Western final appearance last year. They're only a couple years removed from a great top. Um, like to me, Edmonton is trying to do what a lot of teams don't do, and that's don't overreact to one down year. So, would you agree with this statement then? Are the Eskimos doing what Toronto should have done? given that Toronto went and fired Mark Trestman this year, the year after they won the Great Cup. That's fair. And um, we'll, maybe we'll get into that in a couple minutes, but I, I, you know, I think, I think that's a thing where consistency, I also think if Maz truly is stepping down from the offensive coordinator role, which if you remember, he had an offensive coordinator last season and the year before that, but to right. his, his offensive coordinator uh, I forget his name off the top of my head, uh, left right before the season this year, so he goes and steps up and takes on that role. Now if he has another guy go and, uh, and take care of that role and he can focus on just being the head coach again, I think he's going to be better off. Yeah, but I mean, somebody's got to take the fall for this uh, season as far as I'm concerned. Do they, though? Like, at the end of the day, the Eskimos still finished with a 500 record. And better than the team that supposedly hosted the Eastern semifinal this weekend. Like, it's not like Edmonton had a bad season, right? I, right. I mean, they, they dominated at home with a 7-2 and two record, which tied BC and Calgary for the best home record. They sucked on the road, let's be honest. They were 2-7 and seven on the road. Uh, you mentioned they crashed and burned and, down the stretch. And one of those two wins was opening night here in Winnipeg. Right. Opening night slash morning here in Winnipeg. Due to so the long so really, <laughs> really one win the rest of the year on the road, take out opening night. Yeah, pretty much, right? 
And that one win, was that one win in Calgary or did they win? No, they won the home game against Calgary. Yeah, they won the home game. But uh, what really went wrong for Edmonton this year? What caused that downfall? Well, I, I think finally they had a lot of injuries and last year they were able to overcome them. And this year, I, I know it sounds kind of weird to say, but I don't think Edmonton had enough depth. I think offensive line is a big problem in Edmonton, was a big problem this year. Um, it seemed like every time I turn on the TV to watch the Edmonton Eskimos, I see Mike Riley either running for his life or taking a big hit. Yeah, and if I, and I'll focus, you know, on the other sides of the ball because you mentioned the offense already. I think the defense showed an issue of of stopping the run quite often throughout the year. We saw teams being able to run over them pretty easily. And uh, special teams-wise, I don't think they really had a spark on special teams, and I think that's why they brought Martise Jackson in uh, later in the season, but he wasn't even able to get stuff going, really. The uh, the return game didn't muster up a lot for the Eskimos. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't even know if they had a return touchdown this year. Um, Here's the interesting thing where, where I sit on that. Um. I think it goes a lot with their lines. Um, you know, they can't create holes for their returners for whatever reason. And, you know, the returner can only do so much with the football. But if he's not nowhere to run, well, chances are you're not going to run one back. Here, here's the big question now. I think there were two big questions going into this offseason. Maybe three big questions, maybe four. You don't know what's going to happen higher up in the organization. You don't know what's going to happen with Brock Sunderland. I would think he's back as general manager. Um, we know now that Jason Moss is going to be back uh, next year. Now the big question is really the biggest piece on this team. Is he going to be back? Uh, quarterback Mike Riley is a free agent this offseason. What do you see happening with Mike Riley? I was up the camp that he would come back on the weekend. I don't want into the last game. Um now, in talking to people, it sounds like he might be interested in going to BC, where he got to start, considering and that's where he's from. And that's, that's where Ed he's Herbie. from. And, and that's where Ed Hervey is. Right. Right. Um, especially that's where the David gave him his start, uh, for sure. He also got a start in BC, too, behind uh, Travis Lule, as you recall. Who's his best friend, basically. Right. Um I can say with probably 99.99999% certainty that Jonathan Jennings' days are over in BC. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, just don't, I, just, I just don't see there's any situation in that. So maybe um, Lule takes a backup role to his best friend uh, and Mike Riley. I, I think it's clear to me that either Riley stays in Edmonton or he goes to BC. I don't really see another option out there uh, for Mike, but uh, I, I would guess, I mean, Edmonton's got to do everything they can to bring him back, right? Because he's the heart and soul of the team. The offense has been built around him for the last number of years. He's the best quarterback in the CFL. I, I mean, you got to do everything in your power to bring Mike Riley back. But that being said, if he gets to free agency, BC Lions are going to be throwing shovelfuls of money at them. I understand that the Edmonton Eskimos have made multiple offers to Mike Riley. I I read that earlier in the week. I think Sunday or Monday here, or maybe even before the 
last game against the Bombers. Um, but I think if you're Mike Riley, you're waiting for one of two things. The CFL-CBA to mandate exactly how contracts can be structured and all that. And I think you've honestly given yourself a chance. Uh, you've earned that opportunity to go see what your value is in the market. And I'm not going to say but we're going to have the Mike Riley the decision documentary special, <laughs> but you know, Mike Riley has earned the right to, to, uh, command exactly what he wants. And for some reason, Ryan, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Mike Riley could also go to Saskatchewan. Oh, please don't say that. I, I think the entire West division besides Saskatchewan, just, just just wants you to take that comment back, Mike. Well... You, you I mean, know Eskimos fans will not be... I mean, they won't be able to take them going to BC either, but I'm going to Saskatchewan. You know Bombers fans are not going to look forward to playing Mike Riley on Labor Day and Banjo Bowl, if that's the case. You know Stampeders fans... Well, I mean, they, they, they had to face Mike Riley in Edmonton was a big rival then either, but... But I, I don't want to get down this path. Let, let's get that out of our minds for now. <laughs> Ryan, it's not, it's not that far-fetched. I, I know, I know. Uh, we'll save it for an off-season podcast. I, I mean, by the way, let, let's be clear. Mike Riley can go wherever the heck he wants and sign for whatever the heck he wants. Absolutely. And I think, I think he's earned that, right? And I think he's going to explore his options. Uh, Mike, let's move on to another team that missed the playoffs this year, which was uh, the reigning Grey Cup champion Toronto Argonauts go from winning the Grey Cup in 2017 to finishing last place in the league with a 4-14 and record in 2018, which is, the I believe, the worst record of all time following a Grey Cup victory year. Um, let's dive into our preseason predictions here a little bit, Mike. Uh, flashback to those. Uh, first of all, 2017, last season, you and I predicted Toronto to finish last place in the league. They go on to win the Grey Cup. This year, in 2018, you had them at an 11-7 and record, finishing second in the East Division. I had them at a 12-6 and record, finishing first in the East Division. I also claimed they'd have the best defense in 2018, and had the Argos going on to win the Grey Cup. Yeah, that couldn't have been farther from what happened. The exact opposite happened. The exact opposite. So, was I foolish? Were we foolish in the preseason? Were the signs all there that this was going to go bad for Toronto this year? Or or what happened? Well, I, I think, number one, what was their record last year in the regular season? 9-9. Uh, nine nine. Right. So, it's not like we saw... Perhaps we sold Toronto a little bit too high. Oh, probably. I remember coming into the year, I, I was hyped up on their defense because they did bring in some big pieces there. You know, they brought in Taylor Reed to uh, be with Bear Woods, which I believe I heard today uh, earlier today that Taylor Reed has actually retired from the CFL after this season. So congrats on your career, Taylor Reed, if that's the case. Um they brought in, you know, guys like Ronnie Yell. I think they brought back TJ Heath, uh, who was ended up being shipped back out to Montreal during the season. But 
I was impressed with what Toronto did on defense. I thought James Wilder was going to take a big step forward this year. And, you know, we can look at the big issues Toronto had and I think point to obviously things would be a lot different if Ricky Ray was healthy all year. I think we can both agree on that part, right? Right, and let's be clear. I mean, Ricky Ray is a good quarterback, but I really don't think quarterbacking was the sole issue that held the Ardles back. No, no, I think they had issues across the board. Their defense was one of the worst ones in the league statistically. Uh, offensively, you know, they didn't have that many game-breaking receivers. They brought one in midseason, but elected to not use them effectively. And yes, I mean Deron Carter. Um, and really, I have to say, I'm a little surprised by the play of James Wilder Jr. this year. And maybe we just read too much into his final, you know, half of the season last year where he took the league by storm. I was expecting big things from him this year. I know he was banged up a little here and there, but and he did miss, you know, games down the stretch at least, but uh, he didn't seem like the same player he was last year. It's interesting because everything was made of James Wilder's contract situation. Right. And how he demanded so much more money to protect this family, all that kind of things. And let's just say, for lack of a better term, he embarrassed himself. He didn't exactly back up the reason for the major contract dispute and pay raise. Uh, I will go out and say this, looking at the running back play of all the you know guys in the backfield for Toronto in this season, I think Brandon Burks should be the starting running back for the Argos next year. Yeah, I don't know. Um... And I know there's a lot to happen in the offseason yet. But if you look based on, you know, I thought we saw some good sparks from him uh, down the stretch of the season. I'm sure he's going to cost you, at least at this point, a decent amount of less money than a guy like James Wilder Jr. And I think he's a great young guy to build your team around. Yeah, it all depends, Ryan. I mean... The coach is going to have a lot of say in that. The coach is going to have to be philosophically aligned with that of uh, the general manager, Jim Pop. I would really, truly like to know who made this decision. And we will never, we will never know. But I always was under the impression that Pop and Trussman were joined together at the head. So, I don't know who did what, who said what, or maybe their relationship between general manager and coach wasn't as good as we thought it was. I'm not too sure. But the bottom line is, why bring in a player like Deron Carter and use him so ineffectively? Well, uh, I'll tell you this. I, I In listening back to our season preview show, one of the things we talked about was the acquisition or the ownership change, MLSE taking over his ownership for the Argos this year. And one of the things you had said on there was that this is likely going to bring some stability, some consistency to the Argos owner situation. But uh, then we get the reports this week that while there were con conflicts between head coach Mark Tressman, uh, his approach to things and how basically the ownership group wanted him to do things. So then now the question becomes, was Tressman, well, clearly, I mean, Tressman's way didn't work this season, but was it that conflict of, I have to wonder, of 
you know, you bring in a guy like Deron Carter, who's going to sell tickets because of the polarizing player and the talent he is. You don't use him effectively, among other decisions made this year. Do you think that led to the axe falling on Mark Dressman? Um, I'm not too sure, Ryan, because, you know, to be honest with you, in hindsight, a 9-9 nine and nine record and winning the Grey Cup doesn't exactly inspire very much success. Um, they've won, what, 12, 13, 14 games in the last two years? Trying to add the two win totals together? 13, yeah. Um, so I don't know, maybe... Maybe things are different last offseason if Toronto doesn't win the Grey Cup, and maybe things are different if the Argos have Ricky Ray in the lineup. But as far as I'm concerned, something was the miss there, and I really don't think that Jim Pop was the one that fired. No, um, I don't. I don't think so either. I think this came from above, and the president there is Bill Manning who has one of the most expensive payrolls in Major League Soccer to deal with. Well, I I hope Toronto, and I sincerely hope that they didn't overreact. Well, that's that's what I'm wondering here. And, and, you know, I'm not trying to make excuses for the play of the Argonauts this year. You also have to remember everything Mark Dressman's been going through this year with the family situation stuff. You know, he's had some losses, some health issues. Uh, within his family. I'm sure that's affecting him. That's constantly in the back of his mind um, throughout the season. He lost his starting quarterback for the season in week two. Um, And then, you you know, you have the young guys, the unknowns kind of, and James Franklin. Sure, everybody believes he's got a high potential, but you don't really know for sure because there's not that much film to go off of with him. Um, I, I think overall, you know, things were just not set up for success for the Argonauts this year. And Personally, I think one year, you know, this one bad year is way too soon for them to go and fire the coach, especially given the history of Jim Pop and head, and, and finding head coaches. Uh, just go back to after Tressman, you know, was gone in Montreal. How many years of cycling between coaches did Jim Pop do there? I wouldn't be surprised if we see Pop himself on the sidelines again next year. Oh, oh, oh. I'm beginning to wonder if Pop will even be back. Well, yeah, that remains to be seen as well. Um, but I mean, hindsight being twenty twenty two, really, you need to have an idea, ownership wise, what you're looking for as far as players, the way you're looking for players to. I, I feel bad for for Mark Chessman, but it obviously, apparently, was a really bad. Um, scenario that happened. Apparently he was informed that he was being fired on Friday night, Saturday morning after riding back with the team. No, he w- I'm pretty sure he was on the bus with the team or the flight yeah. with the team or something. Yeah, he had just landed in Toronto. They were on the bus. He had his phone to his ear and he was told not to arrive at the uh, part of, for in hockey they call it garbage bag day. Uh, not to meet with his coaches, not to meet with his players, not to do that whole that whole kind of thing. Well, on the bright side, at least he didn't go and spill all his team's secrets to an Uber driver. I mean, subtle, subtle shot at the uh, the guys from the uh, Ottawa Senators there, but 
that's a whole different topic that we won't get into on the Canadian Football Countdown, but I'm sure there's a podcast out there somewhere that does. Uh, let's talk about the other team that uh, that missed the playoffs this year, the Montreal Alouettes. I think, I mean, we both expected them to miss the playoffs. We came pretty close with their preseason record. We both had them at 6-12. and 12. They finished at 5-13. and 13. The year started off ugly for Montreal, right? But did it get better as it went along? And do you think there's positives to take out of this year for the Alouettes? I know I'm going to be eaten alive for these comments, potentially. Oh, that's the best type of comment. But if I am Montreal, I stay with status quo. Yeah, I agree. I think, like we said, you need to find consistency, which is why I like Edmonton bringing back Jason Maz. Um, it sounds like Cavis Reed is probably going to be back next year for Montreal at general manager, which I know a lot of people may not be a fan of. Um, but you gotta, you gotta start doing, you're not going to build a team and get team chemistry together. If you keep switching out every part, every single year. Yeah. But the only thing is this has been a couple years in the bottom of the East division. Right. And you just have a general manager that spent the bank to get a quarterback that didn't exactly deliver results. He didn't deliver results, but I think he did get better as the season went along. And I have to say, coming into this year, I was appalled by the fact that the Alouettes were going into this year with Drew Willie as the starting quarterback yet again. I know they brought in Josh Freeman in the offseason, but that was such an unknown and obviously didn't work. Um, after so many years of quarterback struggles, is it say like, am I wrong in saying that as of right now, going into 2019, the Alouettes are best equipped at the quarterback position since they had Calvillo? I I really don't know, Ryan. I mean, if you're telling me that they're going to be stable at quarterback and they don't need to touch that. And they need to maybe go out and spend money to fix an offensive line and get some receivers that can actually catch the ball and actually know what to do with the ball when they catch it. And they have a, a defense that doesn't really tire themselves out but can play pretty decent. But mind you, I think that defense was on the field a lot more than they would like to be. The building blocks are there. I just don't know if Montreal had this, has the owners that are going to see the progress that I'm seeing. The Yeah. I think the quarterback position, you know, all the quarterbacks are under contract to come back next year, right? Like uh, mm-hmm. Johnny Football is under contract for next year. Uh, I think Antonio Pipkin and Vernon Adams are both extended now through 2020 for two years. Jeff Matthews is under contract for next year. I think Matt Schiltz might even be under contract for next year, but though I'm not 100% sure on that one. I think we're at a state where... You know, none of these quarterbacks at this point in their career are a Mike Riley, a Bo Levi Mitchell, you know, a star CFL quarterback. But I think they all are serviceable quarterbacks that have a bit of upside to them. And and I think they're guys that you start building that consistency we mentioned around. And and I think I'm I'm excited to see what the Alouettes are going to do this offseason around that. Here's the question. There's so many free agent quarterbacks this year, I wonder if Montreal by signing all these guys long term 
isn't accidentally hurting themselves by teaching them out of the running from acquiring somebody. I see. I'll actually counterpoint that and say, you know, if if there's so many free agent quarterbacks out there and everybody else is going to be focused on the quarterback position, Montreal has their quarterbacks that they're confident in going forward. Other people can go out. You know, BC can go and throw a boatload of money and try to get Mike Riley. Meanwhile, Montreal can focus on improving other positions. Yeah, I I understand that side of it too. But, you know, the question becomes, I mean... And and let's be be clear here. No contracts are guaranteed in the CFL, right? So so if Montreal goes and sees quarterback in free agency they think is going to be a better fit for their team, what's stopping them from cutting a guy loose? Nothing. Well... Nothing yet, I should say. Well, that remains to be seen with the CBA negotiations going forward, but... Here's an interesting proposition for you. How much of these decisions will be made with Johnny Manziel in mind? What do you mean? I mean, basically, let's just say you were to go about firing Mike Sherman and you go firing Tavis Reed. And the new coach and new general manager might not be exactly pleased that you have Johnny Manziel there, depending on his thoughts and feelings about Johnny Manziel and in essence, may tie them loose, which will make the trade look even worse than it is now. Um, but, I, but I just honestly think that, you know, to be... I, I think you need to bring Mike Sherman back and just see what he can do with Johnny Manta. Or you make it clear to said coach and general manager from ownership, Johnny is our guy. You're going to play Johnny unless he's hurt. And I mean, that's... If, 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 if the Wetton Halls get any, the owners get any say, which they do in decisions, yeah, they're going to put their voice behind Johnny Manziel because he's going to be the quarterback that's going to go out and sell you tickets. Is Antonio Pipkin going to go out and sell you jerseys? Probably no. not nearly as many. Not nearly as many. Johnny- no, so, so I think if you fire the coach, if you fire the general manager, you need to have a clear directive of, okay, you can come here, but Johnny Manziel is our guy. And I'm not too sure how many guys around football would be entirely comfortable with that. And and that remains to be seen what's going to happen in Montreal. And we'll, we'll talk, obviously, a lot more about them as the offseason comes. But let's shift our focus now over to the playoffs, Mike. We've got six teams in the hunt for the Grey Cup. Uh, there will be a new champion this year because the Argos did miss the playoffs. And uh, getting into the Grey Cup playoffs here... Uh, first of all, just going back to our preseason predictions, and now that we have the final standings, uh, I haven't shown Mike them yet, but I did pull them up before the podcast started. So for the East Division, the final standings, uh, Ottawa finished 11-7, and Hamilton at 8-10, and Montreal 5-13, and Toronto 4-14. and Mike, do you want to know what you predicted in the preseason? Yes. You had the Hamilton Tiger Cats in first place at 13 and 5, the Argos in second at 11 and 7, the Red Blacks at 9 and 9, and the Alouettes at 6 and 12. So your Alouettes pick was pretty close. Uh, the others you got the order, a little mismatch there. I, on the other hand, had Toronto first at 12 and 6, Hamilton at 10 and 8, which was the opposite of their actual record, uh, Ottawa at 8 and 10, and Montreal at 6 and 12. So, uh, a little backwards on the East Division for both of us. Yeah, and preseason predictions and injuries played a part. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then looking at the West Division, uh, final standings in the West, Calgary finishes first at 13-5, and 
Saskatchewan second at 12 and 6, Winnipeg third at 10 and 8, BC at 9 and 9 and fourth then the crossover spot and then Edmonton 9 and 9 finishes in last place. Um Mike this one uh this one didn't go so well for you. Uh you had the Edmonton Eskimos finishing not only first place in the West Division but first place in the entire CFL at a 14 and 4 record. Ouch. <laughs> You had the Saskatchewan Rough Riders finishing second place with a 13-5 and record, which, to your credit, was very impressive, given that they finished 12-6. and uh, You had Calgary finishing 11-7 and in third place, which they, uh, they finished first yet again this year. Um, you had Winnipeg at 10-8 and in the crossover spot. Uh, well, you nailed 10-8, and but they did better than the crossover. And you had BC in last place at eight and ten, so uh, you were close. They were nine and nine on that one. So overall, if you're uh, if you're talking about the West Division, besides that Edmonton pick, you you were pretty close on a lot of them. Um, as for me, nailed the first place pick of Calgary at thirteen and five. Uh, I had Edmonton at eleven and seven uh, in second. BC at ten and eight in third. That was close. Winnipeg at nine and nine, and then uh, I had Saskatchewan and last at eight and ten. So uh, they definitely performed better than I expected. Uh, I mean, looking back at that, Ryan, I mean, maybe I oversold Edmonton based on the lot of moves or lot thereof moves that they made coming into the year. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I think I undersold how good that Saskatchewan defense would be because I know. I had Saskatchewan higher, but then I dropped them down after they released so many guys on offense coming into the year, and clearly that defense made up for it a lot more than we could have ever imagined. Let's let's get into talking about the playoffs here, Mike. In the East Division, you have Ottawa with the first round bye, and you have Hamilton and BC facing off, uh, BC being the crossover team in the first round. And in the West Division, you have Calgary uh, with the bye yet again, and then the Bombers and Riders facing off in Regina this Sunday. Uh, let's start out east. Um, we're not going to... The, the Red Blacks get the bye this week. Uh, what do you have to say about the Red Blacks and uh, what they did so well to finish first place this year? Uh, their offense found some consistency, but it was mainly on the back of their defense and their special teams. Uh, that, in my opinion, won them the uh, East Division. Overall, would you say Ottawa had the best special teams in the league this year? I mean, they have a best titter in the lead. It's not even close. Right. And when you have the best titter in the lead, I think your special teams uh, will take a big improvement for sure. Not to mention Deontay Spencer returning kicks. is. I mean, he's one of the most explosive returners in the league. So, uh, I mean, yeah, there's no secret. There's. It's going to be no surprise to no one. Like, Lewis Ward should be planning his special teams and Rookie of the Year speeches for the UCFL Awards show now already. He's got nothing to do this week. He's on a bye week. Might as well start planning your speeches because the kid is incredible. Um, yeah, Ottawa finishes at 11-7. and seven. They finish off the season on a three-game win streak. Uh, the big thing, I think, for Ottawa is that they beat Hamilton all three times. Yeah, and I, I just, my question is, can they beat them a fourth time? Or will they even need to beat them a fourth time is a question we're going to get into here yet. Um Ottawa, I think the talk all season long was, you know, will they find consistency on offense? Do they have, because we saw some terrible games from that offense, but some games where they just tore teams apart. I think as things went along down the stretch, 
they started to find more consistency. But the question becomes, can Trevor Harris get it done in the playoffs? That's been the million-dollar question, Alienate. I am waiting to be quite honest with you, Trevor Harris, enter the, the top echelon of quarterbacks. I think I think he's close. I think he's he's up there. If you want, if to me, if you want to have an elite quarterback conversation with Trevor Harris, the time to, for for lack of a better term, and I don't mean to be, to to be you know disrespectful in any way, but it's show me what you got now. Right. There, there was no excuse given the state of the Hamilton Tiger Cats that Ottawa can't win one game. Ottawa finished strong down the stretch to capture that first place in the East, but uh, we look at the other the, the the other side of things. The Calgary Stampeders finished first, but it's almost as if they backed into that position with, uh, you know, they close it out with a big win over BC, which was a huge win for them. Uh, in week 21, but before that, three straight losses kind of backing their way into first place, first round bye here. Uh, what do you make of, of Calgary's position going in the playoffs? Maybe right where they want them. I, I really don't know. I mean, if Calgary's going to choke in the playoffs, like, honestly, the, the feeling that I get among CFL people since, you know, the playoff matchups have been confirmed is the amount of people that are underlooking Calgary because of this little skid that they were in. I, I think the injuries in Calgary is the big question mark people have had, right? You know, the offense has been struggling for weeks. Yeah, but I just wonder, Ryan, everything was expected of Calgary the last two years in the Great Cup. I wonder if they come on under the radar a little bit here. I I, I don't know. I think if they get to the Great Cup, the, 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 the sad thing for the for Calgary is, until they go and win another Grey Cup, every time they appear in the big game, it's going to be brought up to no end. And I think even if they win one, there will always be that discussion. Yeah, to an extent, but it's going to be incredibly magnified. Like, if they get back there again this year, third time's the charm, right? Can they get it done the third time, or are they going to are they going to blow it again is going to be the question. But they get the first round by, which certainly helps, obviously, because you only need to win one game at home to, in order to get to to the Grey Cup, which is in Edmonton this year. So I, I, I think Calgary, the, you know, strong start to their year, that defense, remember back in the first couple of weeks of the season, how we kept monitoring, you know, the average mm-hmm. points against per game mm-hmm. for Calgary, which was ridiculous. Um, that obviously lessened a bit as the season went along. But, you know, just looking at it, I think, Winnipeg actually gave up the second least number of points all season at 419. Calgary only gave up 363. Like, that's not even close. That's, uh, oh gosh, doing math live, that's a bad idea. 56-point difference uh, than the next best team. So Calgary's defense is incredibly strong. Uh, Bo Levi Mitchell, you know, I think he may have shown in Week 21 that this new crop of receivers he's got here, he's, uh, he's starting to develop some chemistry with them. My question is, is it enough? And also, I think they're going to be getting some pieces back come playoff time, right? I, Eric Rogers sat out this week. Uh, book him in for a playoff game. I doubt there's any way he's missing that one. Um, I think I heard talk DeForest Daniels might even be coming back come playoff time. Uh, either the time for the Western Final or for the uh, Grey Cup if they make it that far. So, uh, you know, Calgary could be getting some key pieces back at a key time here. 
and we'll see if that's enough to get them back in the big game for the third straight year. Let's break down the week one match, or the round one matchups, I should say, sorry, and we'll start out east because that is the first game this Sunday. Uh, Hamilton at home to BC. Uh, overall thoughts on this matchup? Well, the one thing which strikes me, and I don't know if it comes to your attention at all, but to me, the running game becomes very, very interesting in a game like this. And to me, the quarterback comes into in, into play here. And you're looking at a guy that hasn't necessarily, and Jeremiah has only been a played in CFL playoff type of football. And you're looking at a veteran team that, you know, has a veteran quarterback in Travis Lule. And all of a sudden, they seem to have found a... They seem to have found a running back in, uh, I think, Terrell Sutton. Yep. Um, so it, it's just, to me, it's very interesting. And I, I just want to see how far the we play for Wally uh, mantra goes. Yeah, you know, so BC did the great send-off for Wally Buono uh, at their final home game this season. Uh, I, I thought that was incredible, all the things they did. Uh, it was really great, you know, uh, send-off they put on for him. Except for the play on the field. I thought they kind of came out super flat, given that, you know, the big hype for this. But at the same time, you know, were guys giving their all, knowing they were coming into a playoff game? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh it's interesting for sure. Um, I just think that we're in, and I'll say this right now, we're in for some kind of a surprise in these great cup playoffs. I'm just not sure where it comes from. So here's here's the concern. Well, there, I think there's concern for both sides coming into this game. Like this matchup between Hamilton and BC, I don't personally feel confident in either team, mm-hmm. you know, chances in the playoffs this year. Brandon Banks didn't go down to for the rest of the season, although apparently he claims if the Ticats make the Grey Cup, he may be ready to go and play in the Grey Cup, which is absurd, um, but I wouldn't put it past him. Um, you know, when Banks has been out of the lineup, Hamilton's offense has just stalled. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple receivers down on the injured list already, much like Calgary. Uh, they're asking for a lot from their depth players. And if I had one concern, I mean, that would certainly be it. But but I think their defense is very... Uh, I think their defense could make up for some of the shortcomings. Yeah, they have a strong defense there in Hamilton. Um you know, I don't know what to, I really don't know what to make of Hamilton because they finished second in the East, but they have a losing record at eight and ten. You also have to remember three of those wins came against the uh, the Toronto Argonauts, who finished last in the league. One of those wins was against Montreal. I think they may have even had one or two wins against Edmonton. So, you know, against playoff teams, I think I read that the Tie Cats have only won two games this season against playoff teams or something like that. Um, so I really don't know what to make of them. I think Jeremiah Mazzoli has shown that he can lead this team very well throughout the season, but with the loss of Brandon Banks, who's been the game breaker all year, and has been, in my opinion, the best receiver in the CFL, uh, you know, I don't know if the supporting cast is enough. Oh, well, I mean, it's the playoffs, right? Yeah. Uh, Uh, I would... 
I honestly, I wouldn't put it past anybody. And my other question, my con- my big concern for BC is, well, two big concerns, really. They have to play on the road. They dominated at home all year, 7-2 and two at home. Uh, but just 2-7 and seven on the road, BC just has not been the same team away from, from their home stadium. And uh, the timing of this game, you know, we always talk about uh, the time zones uh, thing, which maybe if we have time yet, we'll talk about, you know, the Atlantic expansion, which is coming soon and what that all means time zone wise as we go further out east. But this game is a one o'clock Eastern start time, which by my calculation, Mike, is a 10 a.m. start time in B.C.? Correct. B.C. traditionally going, you know, all the way out east. That is a long way over. That is a really early start time for them. And, uh, you know... My, de- my decimal man is that they're leaving on Friday. I would guess so, too. But I feel like it still affects you playing a game when that, that early in the morning... Uh, for based on you know the time zone you're used to am i incorrect here in getting shades of oh i don't know remember which year it was it was a couple years ago but bc crossed over and got hammered by montreal in the playoffs that year yep 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 you're not you're not far off on that and then there was also i think the year where they almost came out of the east too uh did you recall what i don't know if, if, if you'll remember this but um, the Bombers were setting in the East years ago when they used to have, for one year, for whatever reason, and I can't exactly remember the circumstances, may have actually been Remembrance Day, where they played CFL games on, CFL playoff game for the division semifinals on Saturday. Mm. And I remember the Bombers just getting hammered by Edmonton, but with the crossover team. And the game was not even close. So, you know, I, I wouldn't put it against anybody to win at any given time. I Yeah, uh, like I feel like BC being on the road and being, you know, the time difference in the early game, like I feel like BC's at the disadvantage and I think Hamilton has the edge at this point, especially since, you know, BC's offense, you don't really know what you're going to get from them. But at the end of the day, like, Travis Lua is one of those quarterbacks that I feel like can all of a sudden pull out a great game. Yeah, and see, I, and that's where I think the quarterback inexperience of Jeremiah Mazzoli may hurt, you know, him a little bit. And I don't want to say Mazzoli's in a, in a game where he has to win it for himself, given his receiving poor. But Hamilton, historically, is not a team that likes to really run the ball. It would be to their advantageous advantage, but they would like to run the ball a little bit more. Huge thing here for BC. It looks like Solomon L. Mimian could be back in the lineup for this game. Yeah, and I mean that's it's gonna help. I, I just don't know I just don't know, you know, with that much of a downtime uh if, if he to be effective. So overall take uh, on this game, uh, BC versus Hamilton, how do you expect this to go? Well, I expect uh, both games, to be quite honest with you, to be a coin flip. Um, I, I think this is a really low-scoring defensive game. And I will tell you a couple of things. Uh, first off, take my pitch with a grain of salt, uh, as you should everything that I say on this show. Um, but 
you know, I I wouldn't put it against Hamilton to win this game. I wouldn't put it against BC to win this game. But for BC to win this game, in my opinion, the lower the, the lower scoring this game is, advantage BC. If this turns into a shootout, I think it's advantage Hamilton. Yeah, I I would agree with you on that one. Um, I'm gonna take the Tie Cats to win this one. I you know I this game's a toss up for me because I could see BC coming out their defense shutting things down. You know, Lule having a great you know stepping up with a big game. You know, kind of remind me of you know a couple weeks ago. I think it was the game against Edmonton, right, where all of a sudden Lule just had a terrible first half, but then threw four touchdown passes in the second half. Uh, to clinch the playoff spot for BC. I could see that happening all of a sudden. But I, I just can't get over BC's road record this year. 2-7 uh, and seven on the road. They just have not looked good on the road. Uh, I think the time does affect them a little bit here. And uh, I think, you know, Jeremiah Mazzoli, Alex Green, I think Luke Tasker steps up and leads this team. And I think that defense shuts things down for Hamilton. So I'm going with the Ticats to take this game. Uh, who are you officially picking to win? Yeah, I'm picking Hamilton too. And, and I think it's going to be a lot closer than uh, people think. And I think it's going to be Hamilton 22-19. All right. Uh, and then let's go over to the West semifinal. What the Bombers... Going to Regina to play Saskatchewan for the fourth time this season. Uh, the Riders have the season series at 2-1. and one. Of course, uh, the last time the Riders scored a point against the Bombers was two games ago. Uh, because, yes, the Bombers did shut them out 31-0 last time they played in their only win. Uh, but the time before that was the game where, you know, Matt Nichols made some very errant throws and, you know, Saskatchewan's defense took the game away. So... How exciting is this matchup? Um, like, scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you for Sunday? To be blunt, a 5. Just a 5? Yep. Why Why only a 5? Just because it's a playoff game, and I, I can't really enjoy it as much as I would Banjo Bowl Labor Day. Because <laughs> you're too stressed out, you're sitting on the edge of your couch, you know, fingernails are completely chewed off. Honestly? One of these fan bases is going to have to hear about the result of this football game until next September. Oh, for sure. And it honestly, it, it's a lot of fun. But for whatever reason, win or loss, these Winnipeg Saskatchewan games, for whatever reason, I take a little bit more seriously than a loss to, say, Montreal. And... I would not be ashamed to say this, but I unfortunately take losses to Saskatchewan personal. <laughs> Just because I know so many people that cheer for the Dream Team. And let's be frank, in Saskatchewan, much the same. There's going to be discussion. Oh, our season ended to the Blue Bombers from Winnipeg? It's still it go both ways, and somebody didn't have to hear about it until either the first meeting of the year. I know they played twice in Regina next year based on the scheduling matrix. Um, so whether that happened before the Labor Day game or after, my my preference is for after. 
Um, or why not just have an opening night if the <laughs> playoff game is going to be as good as I think it, it, it's going to be. But the fact of the matter is there's so much expectation riding on both these teams, and somebody's expectation is going to plummet and hit the ground very, very hard. You know that saying, uh, it's all fun and games until someone loses an eye? I I, I I think that's the case here. One of these one of these fan bases is gonna, is gonna lose an eye. You know, I, I, you you bring that up though, right? Like uh, the playoffs magnify it because you lose, you're out. Uh, you know, it's sour regardless of it. And when it's this big rivalry, it's gonna be even more so. My hope is just stay civil, everybody. Like people from both sides going to the game. By my understanding, a lot of Bomber fans going to Regina for this game. You know, Riders fans are going to pack the stadium. You know, people are going to be chirping one another back and forth, social media and everything. Keep it civil. At the end of the day, we're all CFL fans. We all love the game of football, and everybody has their team. Uh, just, just respect that. I remember, and I'm sitting, Ryan, in basically the same spot in my bedroom, as where I watched Ryan Dinwiddie <laughs> turn the ball over in 2007 to lose the Grey Cup. Good old Ryan Dinwiddie. And I think, to be honest with you, this has been a game that Blue Bomber fans have been looking for. I know it's not a Grey Cup, but it's something for the Bombers to try to erase that memory. Because... I think the general consensus among most Bomber fans, and particularly some Ryder fans that I talked to, whether they agree with me or not, if Kevin Glenn would have played in that great cup game and hadn't broken his arm in the Eastern Final, there is a large percentage of people that think the Blue Bombers would have won that game and it wouldn't even have been close. I I can't argue against that I, I don't remember the situation particularly well uh besides you know the disappointment of that gray cup game but the, the score was something like 22 to 17 or 23 to 17 or 20 21 to 17 something like that I, I don't know what it was and um Ryan Dinwiddie had a hole to run through for a first down this was late in the game in the final minute I think there was like 40 seconds left they were down near the Saskatchewan 30-yard line, and he elected instead of running through the hole, which he had for a first down to throw the ball, and it was picked off somewhere near the end zone. The uh, So this is the first time Winnipeg's traveling to Saskatchewan for a playoff game in a really long time. I forget the exact year, but it's been ye- many years since me, last time. Me thinks it might be 1965, but I could be a few years off on either side of that. Yeah, something something in like the 60s or 70s, I want to say, or before, well, before the 2000s, I know that part for sure, but uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't remember the exact date. Um, the big question mark, I think, coming into this game was uh, Saskatchewan quarterback position because Zach Caleros takes that hellacious hit from Odell Willis uh, in week can 20. I, can, I, can I just speak to that for one minute? Sure. Um. I'm a Bomber fan, true and true, but I am absolutely disgusted how the CFL handled that hit on that Kalaros. Why? Odell Willis hits the guy, Kalaros. He is out cold on the turf. How he stays in that football game is beyond me. How the referee, which is standing five feet away, 
does not throw a fly. And both of them are standing within 10 to 15 feet of the play on either side. How you don't throw a fly and protect your quarterback is beyond me. How you have to have a coach uses challenge flag because the spotter and the way one rider fan put it to me, and I can't really argue this too much. The spotter maybe went for a popcorn break in the press box <laughs> during the play. But how between the spotter and the official, you do not make that call on the field and make the coach have to waste his challenge on something that's black and white to the millions of people watching back at home. Let's be real. They don't go and get their own popcorn. It's fed to them. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying, right? Like, it's protecting the quarterback. And Bomber fans would have a big issue if it was Odell Willis on Matt Nichols, if it was Odell Willis on Johnny Manziel. We're talking about protecting the quarterback here. Right. And to me, and I'm sorry to say this, but to come up with a statement three days later, is unacceptable. Yeah, I, I won't disagree with anything you said there. I didn't act, I, I still actually haven't seen the hit myself, so I can't comment on it. But uh you know, just looking at this matchup here with Winnipeg, you know, Zach Gloros does go down two weeks ago, but it looks like he's been practicing. It looks like he's going to play this weekend in this mm-hmm. game. But yet the riders do a very confusing thing to a lot of people this week, and they bring in quarterback Drew Tate. Why? Well, I was listening to what they were saying in Saskatchewan and yesterday on uh, the sports cage with Rod and all his guys, but he's not there. And they were talking about the same thing. I think it's for one thing, short yardage. But why not? But that's what Nick Marshall is for. Take Nick Marshall off, off of that, uh, put a better quarterback in who can handle short yardage and keep, keep Nick Marshall on the defensive side of the ball. But Nick Marshall's been so good at that, so... All season long, why going into a playoff game do you all of a sudden make that change? Ryan, quite frankly, you're one hit away from losing your starting cornerback in the same process. I, I, I mean, I suppose, but it's it's just puzzling to me personally. Um, I, I I thought it was you know maybe a sign Koyos wasn't ready to go, and maybe you know they bring Tate in so they because they you know should Koyos get hit early on in this game. Do they maybe just not trust Brandon Bridge to go in and win them the football game here? And instead, they're going to throw Tate in there at the last? I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, that being said, whoever is at quarterback for Saskatchewan, uh, that offense has clearly struggled all season long. And I don't know if Coleros actually gives that offense that much more of an edge. I think to me, and I'm just trying to think this over rationally, and I take myself out of being a Bomber fan, I don't see, given the ball protection that the Bombers have had since their second bye week of the season, if the Bombers play like that, how the Bombers can lose this game. How many interceptions has Matt Nichols thrown since uh, since Banjo Bowl? One? One or two? two? And we've seen, you know, I, I think that game sent him a bit of a message of, oh, crap, I can't be doing this anymore. Uh, we've taken a, seen him smartly take sacks when, you know, it'll always get some booze from the fans. Oh, come on, you're getting sacked again. 
Look, sometimes it's smart to just take the sack and lose a couple yards. It's a lot better than watching Willie Jefferson take half an hour to run into your end zone as he dances his way down the field. Yeah. And the best way to say this is to give Saskatchewan an opportunity to win this game, the Bombers need to give them no opportunity to win this game. Yeah, I I, I really don't know how this game's going to go. Like, I feel like... Like, obviously, the Bombers are on quite a roll here. They win, what was it, five straight games? Uh, mm-hmm. Was it four or five coming into that game against Edmonton? I think they won five in a row. Um, but then they lose that one to Edmonton, where, I mean, they benched all of their starters, basically. Even the backups almost came back and won that game. So, you know, Winnipeg's flying high going into the playoffs. Saskatchewan's still, obviously, flying high going into the playoffs. These are two teams that have been on a roll as of late. These are two teams with defenses that can make the big plays needed in order to, you know, change the tide of a game. I I don't know how this one's going to go. I could see it going either way. I'll, I'll say this, and it sounds black and white. Two turnovers or less, preferably less, Bombers win. Anything more than that, and I don't like their chances. I I. I do think if Saskatchewan's going to come out and win this game, they're going to need a defensive touchdown, which, you know, given their track record all season long, is something they're very capable of doing. But I I just don't know if Saskatchewan's offensive inconsistency, granted they've had a couple strong weeks in the end off the season. I look at that game Coros had against Calgary a couple weeks ago. Um, Yeah, Saskatchewan can put things together offensively, uh, but... I, I would say the Bombers have a favor on offense. I'd say the, the Riders have a bit of a favor, you know, an edge on defense. Uh, special teams, I would, you know, maybe consider probably very close to one another. Maybe give it in the Riders' edge just because uh, the return game has struggled for the Bombers. But I, I think this is an evenly matched game. But in my mind, I think the Bombers have a bit of an edge here, and, and that's taking Winnipeg fan bias out of out of this. I have a very interesting, um, not dilemma, but scenario. This is a matchup, in my opinion. I know it is what it is and all that kind of stuff, but this reminds me so much of Winnipeg-Edmonton last year. Mm. Two teams that shouldn't have definitely be meeting in a Western semifinal, yet they are. See, I, I don't see it that way, because I remember that game, going into that game against Edmonton last year, uh, home playoff game, we were both there, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember going into that, the defense has been Swiss cheese all season long at that point, uh, gaping holes, giving up big play after big play. You're going up against Mike Riley, who is, you know, can tear a defense apart. I, I think going into that game, I was full well expecting, you know, Mike Riley to do Mike Riley and tear the Bombers' defense apart. The The Riders' offense does not scare me in the way they did. Yeah. Saskatchewan's offense does not pose a, a big threat to tear your defense wide open. Like, if the if the defense can do... A solid job. The offense can get there, out there and put together a couple of drives. I don't see any reason the Bombers can't win this. That being said, you know, if this seems like such an easy recipe to beat Saskatchewan, how did they end up getting to 12 wins this year? Uh, because it's not as easy as it seems because their defense can change things around on a heartbeat. 
and Chris Jones coming off a bye and the potential of, of no Javon Santos not for the Bombers. Right, which may be a huge loss there for the Bombers. Uh, overall pick, Mike, on this game, uh, I both with and without Bomber fan bias, I, I'm taking the Bombers to win because I, I feel like they do have the edge. I think Saskatchewan's defense can turn things in their favor, but all around wise I think the Bombers are a better team. Okay. So who are you going with? 28-25 Saskatchewan. You're taking the Riders to pull out the win? Uh, what's the main reason for that? A uh, big reason is home field. I'm looking at the line. The line is uh, was two and a half to start the week. It's now drawn up to three. Um, and that usually generally favors the home team. That That's fair. That's fair. I think certainly it's not going to be easy to come in on the road and win in Saskatchewan, which is not something the Bombers have done very well in quite some time. Um, so we've given our picks for the first round series, Mike, just to wrap up things here on our playoff preview show. Uh, By the way, Ryan, just for, for record, and I wanted to bring this up, when we talked about the other semifinal, yeah. Hamilton was favored by three points okay, when it opened, like the opening betting odds. Yeah. Now that line has been pushed to one. Hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if, given the current trend, if it starts pushing toward BC closer toward the closer toward tip up. I, I could see that game going either way. I could really see either of these games going either way. But uh, so uh, we both have Hamilton beating BC. I have Winnipeg beating Saskatchewan. You have Saskatchewan beating uh, Winnipeg. So let's get into things here, Mike. It's time to put the predictions out there for the our Grey Cup picks here. Um, so just to recap, you have in the West semifinal, uh, or the West final, sorry, uh, Calgary and Saskatchewan. Uh, and in the East Final, Ottawa and Hamilton. I have Calgary-Winnipeg and Ottawa-Hamilton. Uh, would you like to hear what our preseason Grey Cup picks were before sure. we get into this? Um, no, I'll do the picks first. You, you, you don't want to hear the preseason ones? No, not okay. right now. Well, I'll give you my preseason one because it doesn't matter. Um, because it's it's laughable. I had the Toronto Argonauts beating the Edmonton Eskimos in the Grey Cup. Nailed okay. it. <laughs> okay. Um, your Grey Cup pick preseason was is still alive and well. It still could happen. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll see if you stick to that and remember what that was. Um, let's start off with the East final. We both have Ottawa Hamilton. Who comes out of that one in your eyes? Well, to me, I think it's Rust versus uh, Rust. I believe on paper that Ottawa's the favorite. I will stick with that. Uh, I just think Hamilton has way too many injuries uh, in the most important position to, to to come out of winning two games. And to be honest with you, I see Hamilton barely coming out of this one this weekend. Uh, I need to be close. Uh, I think Ottawa will win this one, uh, the, the East Final, by 10-plus over Hamilton. I'm going with Ottawa to win that one as well. Uh, so we both have Ottawa representing the East in the Grey Cup. I, I just think, you know, on top of the injury issues and top of the loss of Brandon Banks for the Ticats, which I think hurts their offense quite a bit, you know, I think they can get back past BC. 
But uh, let's not forget Ottawa's beaten them three times this year. Ottawa has their number. Um, I don't know if uh, Hamilton can overcome that and win the fourth. I, I, I don't see it. I think Ottawa's the more well-built team now. I think they're on a roll going in the playoffs, and I think they're off to the Grey Cup. I, I don't want to seem disrespectful to Hamilton, but they strike me as the team that's on fumes. Yeah, yeah, I, I could definitely see that. And Ottawa, like you said, has the week of rest. Um, and I, I'm not saying that from a rust versus play perspective. I'm just saying one of the injuries didn't attach up to them. And I don't know if the receivers can bring them over the finish line two games in a row. So we both have Ottawa representing the East. Uh, we have uh, differing opinions on who's playing in the West final. I've got Winnipeg, Calgary. You've got Saskatchewan, Calgary. Uh, you went first on the last one. So let me go first on this one. Uh, I have the Calgary Stampeders back in the Grey Cup for the third straight year, Mike. Uh, Calgary, Winnipeg, I think Winnipeg can get past Saskatchewan on the road. Do I think they can go two straight weeks of winning in Saskatchewan and then Calgary, which they have even more of a hard time winning than Saskatchewan? I, I don't. Uh, I could see anything happening here. Um, but I just think, you know, especially after that dominating win to end off the season, I think Calgary sent a message hey, we may have lost three straight, but don't take us lightly in the playoffs. They got another week to get healthier, uh, which they desperately need. I, I think Calgary comes out strong in that West Final. It's going to be a close game, but off to the Grey Cup for the third straight year. I've got the Calgary Stampeders. Interesting. Then uh, your take. You got Calgary, Saskatchewan. Uh, who, who goes on to face Ottawa in the Grey Cup? Saskatchewan. Why? Um, I just think that if there's one team that always seems to be the thorn in the side of another team, but you seem to match up really horribly against. And for my money, for whatever reason, Saskatchewan just seems to have Calgary's number, especially of late and especially in Calgary uh, this year. So, and I, I think that right of defense will not be denied. And I, I really believe that uh, Saskatchewan will go to the great cup. Yeah, and you know what? That That's a very fair argument, the thorn in the sides. Uh, Saskatchewan does seem to have Calgary's number a lot lately. So uh, you've got Saskatchewan and Ottawa in the Grey Cup, which is actually pretty close to your preseason pick, Mike, in which you had Saskatchewan and Hamilton in the Grey Cup this year. Uh, give us your Grey Cup final picks, Saskatchewan, Ottawa. Who is winning the 2018 Grey Cup? Saskatchewan Rock Riders. Why? Uh, I just think their defense, again, much the same as Ottawa. Um, they played Ottawa well this year uh, at times. They may have had, you know, one bad game against Ottawa. But I, I think when all is said and done, the name that we will keep hearing come playoffs is defense. Defense is the name of the game. And and I think as painful as it is, that the Stetson uh, Rough Riders will win the Great Cup. All right. So you got the Riders winning the Cup. I had So my Grey Cup final had the Calgary Stampeders and the Ottawa Red Blacks. Mike, this Grey Cup tailspin Calgary has been on for the last two years. Started with Ottawa in two years ago, and it ends with Ottawa this year. I have the Calgary Stampeders taking the Grey Cup finally over the Ottawa Red Blacks. I, I just think if they get back there a third time... And you can ridicule me all you want on this podcast all offseason long if they choke in the Grey Cup again. But I, I can't see it happening. There's no way it happens 
a third time in a row that they completely blow it in the Grey Cup. Uh, I think Calgary gets there. I think they get the job done this year. Calgary finally gets the job done in the Grey Cup. Let's be clear and let's be honest, at least from my perspective. I think the winner of Winnipeg and Saskatchewan either way wins the Grey Cup. All right. I said that. I said that on Monday. I said that on Saturday, as soon as the matchup was confirmed. I said that to people I saw on Sunday. The winner of Winnipeg and Saskatchewan wins the Grey Cup. I, I'll say this. I have Calgary winning the Grey Cup based on, uh, you know, just gut feeling that they, they have to get it done this year. But if you want to know who I'm truly thinking is my strong favorite to win the Grey Cup right now, it's probably the Ottawa Red Blacks. I feel like they have the easiest path out of anyone to get there right now. And, uh, you know, the East, the last couple of years, has come out and won the Grey Cup. I will not be surprised to see Ottawa hoisting it this year. But officially, Grey Cup pick, I'm going with the Calgary Stampeders. Fair enough. All right, Mike, we will leave it at that. Uh, we did mention a little bit about the Atlantic uh, expansion uh, earlier. Uh, we're already kind of running out of time here on this episode of the podcast, so we will talk more about that in the off season. Uh, given you know that, well, they're not coming for another couple of years yet, so we got time uh, to talk about everything Atlantic and what that means for the CFL if we're expanding to ten teams. So we will leave that. Uh, but any quick final thoughts before we close this out, Mike? Bring on the Drake Cup playoffs and everything I said might be thrown out the window, but it's the playoffs, baby. Absolutely. That is a great way to put it. Uh, just a reminder, the usual stuff to wrap this up. Uh, follow us on Twitter at CFC on Mike FM to stay up to date with all of our CFL talk, show news, all of that fun stuff there. Uh, all You can find us on all the podcast platforms, including the one you're listening to this on right now. Um, if there's one you want to rather listen on and don't see it there, just, just send us a tweet and uh, I'll get it on there for you. Uh, make sure you check out all of the other Canadian football podcast network shows at CF pod network on Twitter and cfpodnetwork.ca. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cooper trooper 42 and, uh, Mike, you are at, at Mike Garrell, correct? Yep. Perfect. Just making sure I didn't forget that there. Um, in terms of content for the remainder of the playoffs here, we'll see if we can get together again in the coming weeks to maybe, uh, you know, keep keep talking as the playoffs go along here. I'll see if I'm able to join Mike for that. Uh, it will depend on the school homework studying situation, but uh, happy we got to do this one here, Mike. Yep, it's great to have you back, and I can't wait. If we don't talk before, then to have you back uh, in January. Uh, yes, we are definitely going to be doing stuff all off-season long. Me and Mike have been discussing plans and everything, and we are looking forward to it. But in the meantime, as Mike said, it's the Grey Cup playoffs are here. A new champion will be crowned in 2018, and we are so excited to see how all of this plays out. Uh, that does it for today. Thanks, as always, for listening. We always appreciate it. Uh, for Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy the playoffs, and have an all-around great time. Bye. Bye.